Good morning, everybody out there in the world that's currently listening or asleep. Wake your bitch asses up. This is the DJ Adams Podcast coming to you live from the vicinity of my living room. I hope you enjoy the Minoru Suzuku theme intro, which I pray to God do not get copyright struck with because your brother is currently struggling with financial issues right now and I cannot afford to pay any money. So, yeah. And if you do sue me, I hope Moxie kicks your ass in new beginning. I did not say that. Do not track me down. Um, my name is Cliff. I live all the way in California. That is my name. You'll find me there. Uh, happy to be a Becky Lynch fan. That's my name. I'll see you then. I can kick your ass, Suzuki. My name is Cliff. Remember that. <laughs> um, aside from that, uh, welcome to, again, I got a variety of topics we had to talk about. This is a little unorthodox since I put this together at the last second, but who gives a damn? You're listening, so pay attention. All right, so I've been... Thinking about this topic for a while now, ever since the end of Night 2 of Wrestle Kingdom, uh, I've seen a lot of people critique the ending where Kenta, uh, after Nato became the first dual champion in Japan, defeating Kazuska Okada, uh, damn, I'm already botching, goddamn, Kazuska Okada, uh, rival for over seven years to finally get his moment to be the IWGP heavyweight champion for the second time in his illustrious career. Now, the ending. Uh, Naito has spoken to one to make the greatest LIJ roll call. As we all know, at the end of his matches, or if it's a closing show, he usually, usually LIJ members surround the ring. Los Ingobernables, they hop on, like the roll call. They didn't necessarily get that. Because uh, Kenta, the douchebag, showed up and kicked the crap out of Naito after that, ruining the moment. Now, I've seen online a lot of people had different opinions about it. Some people said that, you know, it wasn't right. They were comparing it to WrestleMania about what if Dan Bryant got his moment and was attacked by a corporate cane afterwards, or what if Becky Lynch had her moment and was attacked by Alexa Bliss after that. A lot of comparisons between New Japan and WWE and the difference of the scenarios with Wrestle Kingdom and WrestleMania. Some say it could have been saved for New Year Dash. Um, I have a little bit of a different opinion on that one. Um, it's caused me to think a lot about it over the past few days. Um, I really do think that in wrestling, we lost generally what a heel actually is supposed to be. Like I said, there's too many like cool heels. I never thought I said this. I'm a fan of the Undisputed Era. I'm a fan of The Fiend. I'm a fan of Seth Rollins' current here one as it is. But the thing is, it's like it's too many, you know, you know what I mean? Like cool heels in wrestling. It's like once... Everything like the internet got exposed once KFA was exposed. It became really hard for heels to get heat these days. Now you can bring up King Corbin as, as an example. He manages to get heat. Uh, I think because he comes off as a douchebag, rather uh, an, an annoying gimmick, really. But I think it's some would necessarily say it's the wrong heat because it's more go away heat. Like I usually change the channel whenever he comes on. Um, a perfect heel. I don't want to do a New Japan WWE comparison because there's too many of that. But a perfect heel I see currently in New Japan is Jay White. You probably hear him a thousand times because Jay White is a absolute scumbag. Let me tell you, night one for Wrestle Kingdom, when he faced Tetsuya Naito for the Intercontinental title, I was on the edge of my seat. Just his mannerisms and everything he did pissed me off to the core. Like, I wanted Naito to whoop his ass and Gato, especially that little pew beard motherfucker. I don't know how many times I could curse on here without probably losing a lot of probably, I don't know, screw it, uh, Anchor. I apologize for the excessive loose of Virgo language. Moving on, but that's a perfect heel I see 
who can really get me get my disbelief up because I want to see him get his ass whooped. And I was so thrilled when he lost to Naito. But then night two came along when he faced the Bushi. Damn it to hell. <laughs> Man, Jay is on the top of his game. Currently in New Japan is a top hill. Uh not not shortly behind him is Kenta. And that's what I feel like a heel should do. He should be ruining the moments of the big faces. That's why I feel the difference it comes with WrestleMania and Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom, it's a wrestle. I feel like WrestleMania has become more of a spectacle than a wrestling show. It's like usually where the end of where storylines pretty much end up, and then the night after is where they begin. I kind of liked how it is because now I'm interested in seeing Naito get his revenge. And I heard this from wrestling running that Naito is an engobinable. That means injustice, a character that's been screwed over. You know, that's how he became M. Gobanabli in the first place with the Stardust Genius failing. He got his Wrestle Kingdom main event from 2014 taken away from him, snatched away from him. So I feel like it made sense for the character Naito to not get that roll call. And, you know, I'm really liking how it's going to go, especially with now that it's been announced that Naito will face Kenta for in a double title match at New Beginning. Um, I do think Nada will beat Kenta. Uh, I assume at some point Nada will lose that Intercontinental title at some point. I can't imagine who, though. I thought it might have been Suzuki, probably, but Suzuki is currently within a devil maniacal feud with Moxley, and I'm already savoring the taste of all the carnage. Young Lions, call in sick that day. I do not care. Call in sick. Say you had a death in the family, or else that death will be you. Um, just avoid it at all costs. Do not show up because you're going to die. You might as well already pick a plot, start digging, mark the headstones because Moxie and Suzuki will murder you. Anyways, I'm going off topic here a little bit. Um, I feel Nato's run, he shouldn't have an Okada-like run where he goes through everybody. It's going to be very different because he's in Gomenai. But like I said, even if he manages to go beat Kenta... I'm willing to bet that Jay White won't be that far lurking away in the distance ready to go after him or somebody else. And, um, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about what happened on Raw. Uh, we're going to be switching topics over a little bit. The WWE champion Brock Lesnar announced that he will be entering the Royal Rumble at number one. Immediately, my thoughts of this was negative. Like, you weren't that lazy to find an opponent for Brock. You weren't that lazy to, oh, uh, manage to use the rather kind of lifeless AJ Orton feud to tie into that. Maybe do a triple threat match between Styles Orton and Brock for the Rumble. That'd be a good thing to see. Or at least a good build before the match ultimately disappoints because, you know, generally that's what... I'm going off the topic here a little bit, but at first my thoughts about this one was very negative. I'm thinking this doesn't make sense. Why is the champion, you know, entering the Rumble? I'm trying to make sense out of WWE's logic in this. Um, then I start thinking, you know, if Brock's going to be in the Rumble and he's not putting a title on the line, like, there should be some kind of stipulation involved. Instead of Brock simply winning, he can just go out to the Universal title. He doesn't have to pick an opponent. Because guess what? Brock's got to defend that title at WrestleMania regardless. It's the biggest show of the year. Why would you miss out on getting a big goddamn paycheck just because you're lazy enough not to defend at WrestleMania? That makes no damn sense. Like here's my like here's what I thought of it. If Brock were to win the Rumble, if the WWE champion were to win the Rumble, he would not defend his title up until WrestleMania. Not only that, but he would have to pick his own challenger. Cause I was trying to paint the scenario here between this and the G1 climax, where if the champion were to win the tournament, he'd 
pick his opponent for Wrestling Kingdom. He get to pick his challenges. That's if he made it to defend the title at I think Destruction or King of Pro Wrestling. I'm, I assume. Um, and then I also came up with this idea that if the champion should be eliminated, whoever eliminates him gets a title shot, either at the next Raw or SmackDown or next pay per view. Depends on what brand they're on. And if the person who happens to eliminate him does go on to win the Rumble, the runner-up gets the title shot against Brock. Uh, it sounds pretty complicated, but I'm just trying to make sense out of WWE booking, which is kind of a headache if you really think about it. Um, so yeah, Brock Lesnar officially enters the Royal Rumble, and I can already assume where this is going. I know I sound jaded and you should give things a chance, but we all know in WWE that if you try giving things a chance, like... 95% out of 100, you're going to wind up disappointed. That's just that's just the way it is sometimes, you know. Um, I sound jaded. I sound like, because uh, I'm expecting the worst. Because usually in Brock Lesnar's cases, you can't expect the worst to happen. Um, like, I, I'm, just, I'm just exhausted with the Brock run. Like, it's like, you can go the part-timer route so many damn times and it's just it's getting it's just it's just it's just it's winning you know it's just exhausting to go through the cycle again and again and again we already done the part-time route with Brock we already got the payoffs with Roman and Seth defeating Brock for the championship and I really think you could have actually refreshed this up by having Ray beat Brock at Survivor Series because guess what Brock does not need that damn title He's a draw. He doesn't need to be WWE champion. He doesn't need to be in the damn Rumble, but here we are. And it's the same constant issue where WWE sacrifices its full-time performance for its part-time. Hell, they sacrifice full-time for celebrities and guest stars. I'll get into that in a moment. Um, as to, I assume, who will eliminate Brock, I already, already assumed it's going to be Cain Velasquez. Because there's rumors going around, and I don't know why I'm believing it, that they're going to do Brock Kane 2 for WrestleMania, possibly Brock versus Tyson Fury. And again, why? Like, for a company that's been around for 50 years, how can you just be so short-sighted to know that this is already going to end very negatively? It doesn't matter if you go with either Kane or Fury about it. It's going to end negatively. Like... Cause I saw the Brock Kane match from Crown Jewel, and it's, it's just no one wants to see fake MMA in a wrestling ring. If I wanted to see MMA, I'd just go watch UFC or Bellator. That's just the way it is, you know. And I know I've seen Kane's work in AAA down in Mexico, and this is WWE we're talking about here, right? And this is their style of wrestling. We all know Brock Lesnar has been on a suplex like during yeah, his match is still entertaining to see. But they put Suplex City down to death once it got popular. And usually in WWE's case, they always like shoving things consistently down your throats till it gets infuriating. And like I said, I don't really have much care for the men's Royal Rumble currently in general, regardless of who wins. Because you, you can tell, like, you know it's not going to be someone like Alex of Black that's going to face Brock Lesnar. I know optimism within WWE, especially on Raw, is very... Uh, high for some people, but it's like, you gotta be realistic here. Alistair, ba Alistair Black will likely be in the United States Championship picture at WrestleMania, probably challenging Andrade. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Personally, Andrade and his current run with the U.S. title, I am enthralled with. I am entertained with. 
but let's not act like Brock Lesnar being WWE champion is is placing a holding pattern on the company right now, especially when you look at Seth Rollins and AOP. Because, like, where can they go? They're, like, the top heels, but they can't go after Brock because, guess what? You're doing this UFC crap rematch from WrestleMania. Why? To break through mainstream? You're already on Fox, and most of your SmackDowns are probably, at best, mediocre. Let's be blunt here. Like, most of the entertaining stuff on SmackDown, I pretty much watch. It's been on Twitter, to me at least. I mean, there's been some bright spots on SmackDown. Don't get me wrong. There's been some bright spots. Jesus, I am struggling to speak, but it's mostly it's just it's just been like a little bit of a struggle to get through as a lady. You know what I mean? But I but I'll say this: I'll prefer SmackDown over three hour Raw. But yeah, um, as far as who's to win the Rumble, it's really a, it's really a toss up. Really, you can assume that it could be Roman Reigns, who last night entered the Royal Rumble match along with King Corbin. Speak, uh, shut up, dumbass horns blowing out my window. Speaking of which, King Corbin and Roman Reigns will face off at the Rumble. Jesus Christ. And going back to what I talked about heels earlier, King Corbin is a different... Yeah, he gets heat, he gets reactions. And I do think the King gimmick is working for him over the Lone Wolf. Because in hindsight, maybe the Lone Wolf gimmick wasn't working for him or he wasn't getting much reactions with it. But now that he's seasoned, he's gotten more experience, you know, especially with the constable GM role, he's really become a detestable heel. Not one that I'm interested in, but one that can get the actual heat and get booze. So, yeah, um, him and Roman Reigns will face off one month's time at the Rumble. Uh, the way this is going, Roman Reigns will likely win the Rumble to face the Fiend. I do not mind it, but what I do mind is the fact that you know, Roman hasn't been booked like an unstoppable monster. It's like, again, with WWE, it's this stop-on-stop stop momentum when it comes to it, especially when it comes to Roman. Like, out of all the top guys, Roman has had the worst booking out of them all. And he it's been booking that hasn't done any favors to him or, quite frankly, has not been well to him. And it's like, if Roman's going to be your top guy, he needs to be booked like one. He shouldn't be taking no... Multi-man L's to King Corbin at TLC. He should have moaned through his ass and say, screw this shit. I'm going to Royal Rumble. I'm going to eliminate every last son of a bitch out that road. I'm going to WrestleMania, and I'm getting back the title that I never lost. And that, and it's whether you like it or you don't. Just be blunt, be brutal. And I've currently enjoyed Reign so far, but he shouldn't have taken no L's to Shane McMahon at Super Showdown. He shouldn't have lost to King Corbin, really. It's like, if he's going to be your top guy, let's be real, he is. Seth Rollins isn't the guy. Roman Reigns is that guy. You need to at least be consistent with him. Regardless of whether the fans like it or not, you've proven before that you don't listen to fans because you gave us Triple H versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 32, and that was awful. <laughs> so it's like, stick to it. Like, what? what's the hold up? Why? Like, it's something I don't understand. Quite frankly, it's still confusing how Reigns didn't even beat Brock at WrestleMania. They saved it for SummerSlam for some goddamn reason. I don't know the swerve the fans. If you're really going to do a damn swerve, you should have done one where, I don't know, I'm getting too caught up into it. Um, it's moving on. Love a guy, move on. <laughs> anyway, let's go to NXT. Currently, the Dusty Tag Team Classic is set um between NXT and NXT UK as i suspecting it's likely going the finals are likely going to take place at Worlds Collide i believe it is is it the night before the Royal Rumble or two nights i'm not sure 
like I said, and uh, one of the big announcements to come out of it was the reuniting of the Time Splitters. Kushida's mystery partners turned out to be Alex Shelley. Alex Shelley, I've been a fan of since TNA inception with his team with the Motor City Machine Guns. I was a, uh, they were my favorite team in TNA growing up. It's a shame I never got no damn, damn merchandise though. That's a damn shame. But I'm looking forward to that. Maybe it's the best thing that happened to Kushida in NXT so far because I feel like his run has been kind of lackluster. You know, it's like, eh, maybe this is what's good. Maybe this and the Dusty Classic is going to be what's good for him. <clears throat> and uh, the conclusion of NXT marked Keith Lee becoming the number one contender for the North American title. He won a fatal four way. His opponents were Cameron Gar. Cameron Grimes, Damian Priest, and Dominic Dajakovic. So he would face Roderick Strong, <clears throat> aka Mr. Bland, Puberty Voice, January 22nd for the North American title. Uh, I ain't gonna lie, I, say I was kind of disappointed. Not that Keith Lee won, but I kind of want Keith Lee in the NXT Championship picture. I don't mind him going after Roger Strong, um, but I'm supposed I'm guessing they're saving that more down the road because you, you gotta conclude Champa versus Cole at some point, which I feel like they're saving it for Portland. Speaking of Portland, um next week is going to be a battle royal to determine who will face Rhea Ripley if she even is still the NXT women's champion because she's got to defend the women's championship against Tony Storm at Worlds Collide. Uh, it's going to be a battle royal, and the most notable names out there has been Bianca Belair, Eel Shirai, Cancel Ray, Dakota Cotton. Now, they did tease at the end of the six-woman tag on NXT this week that Candice LeRae will probably be challenging Rhea Ripley. That's if she even is still champion, which I'm assuming Rhea will still be champion. She's going to be Tony Storm and Rose Collide, from what I assume, or some smots will happen to where Rhea will still be champion. From the looks of it, some people are already guessing Dakota Kai will be the one to challenge her. To me, I feel like that's the least intriguing option out of the bunch because, like, I don't see how the heel turn has worked so far. I feel like they try to go the Champa-Gargano route of Dakota and Tegan without skipping all the necessary steps to it. It was rushly built. To me, the Champa-Gargano story with Champa turning on him, that led all the way back from the Cruiserweight Classic to where it was teased but it didn't go out. That was about a almost a year worth of planning for Champa to turn on Gargano. To me, they rushed this within two to three weeks. I feel like it should have been better built up at War Games. Like instead of having me, like I think Mia probably couldn't compete because the injury she suffered. But you could have slowly built to it. You could have slowly. I would have just not done Dakota turning because I feel like the moment has eclipsed her entire heel one was just just been subpar at best. I mean, what the only heel run? What the only thing she got from her heel run has been a trophy future star, and even then, it's like the future's a very damn long time from now. So it might be ten years where she finally becomes that little shooting star that goes away briefly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I really do think that Dakota needs something to get this heel run, you know, make it make sense because so far she's been getting her ass handed to her by Rhea Ripley, Mia Yim, as we all saw, she was put through a table. After winning the match, so her momentum hasn't exactly been high. It's just been, you know, teetering. So I don't think she should win because I don't think she should have. I think she, she shouldn't. Ah, I'm stuttering. Damn it. She shouldn't take an L to Rhea uh, this quickly. I do think that's something you save down the line. So I would say fuck it. Push 
the funnel guys have to return have her go after dakota and start that feud there that way you already have like a second blood feud match between dakota and tegan for portland and you got another intriguing match set up for the nxt women's title which i was breaking that down i'm thinking we might be in for a multi-woman nxt women's tag ah fuck nxt women's title match for takeover portland between Rhea, Bianca, and EO, because as we saw at the end, there was a little bit of issues going on between EO and Bianca. And to where EO delivered a dropkick to Bianca after Bianca blind tagged herself in. Now I'm starting to think we might get three women's takeover matches at uh uh Portland, Dakota Tegan, Candace versus Rhea one on one, and Bianca versus EO. Ooh, the flavor child. Yeah, I I'm not gonna say that again, that does not fit me. I'm going to leave that to y'all. <laughs> yeah. And as we all know on SmackDown, snitches get stitches. Um, Ramblin' Rabbit revealed that there's a secret to beating the Fiend, but before he could help Daniel relay it, we saw that creepy-ass hand mush his face, and it was Funhouse Bray. You know, snitches get stitches. Let, and said the infamous, let him in. Rattling Rabbit just suffers the most damn abuse out of anybody on the Five Five Funhouse. Like, it's sad, man. Like, can someone help him? Like, you saw how Dale reacted when he saw that Rattling Rabbit was missing an eye. Like, Jesus, uh, can someone help him? And it's it's gonna be all right though, because Rattling Rabbit will pay a factor into Bray losing that Universal Title eventually. Uh, I feel like the secret will be revealed at some point. Uh, I'm intrigued to know how they're gonna, what's gonna be about, like what's the secret to the fiend, like, or you want to, it's gonna involve Sister Abigail. I know people are sick of seeing it, but it's like, is or hear about Sister Abigail fucking theories. I know, it's like the secret's got to be something. Is it within the red light? You gotta once you break that up, Bray becomes human again, because we all know Bray, White, Funhouse Bray, and the fiend are two and the same. So it's kind of like a bipolar thing or like two di- multiple personalities so it's like if you do something to the fiend that's when funhouse bray like comes out it's like similar to mick foley when he had the mankind get up and he took it off to reveal it was cactus jack so i am intrigued to see how wwe plays out about it uh, a little part of me is kind of jaded about it but i'm damn skeptical to see how they go- how's it gonna come about how's it gonna play out but moving on all week we were advertised Sasha Banks versus Lacey Evans on SmackDown. I mean, I was currently, I was very much looking forward to it the way it was advertised because it, it was gonna be a good go, good, a little bit of a good match. Um, so uh, what had happened was Sasha at the last minute called out because she had to finish her rap album in Los Angeles. Now, Brock Lesnar is a part timer; he has no excuse. Sasha Banks is making music. Alright. She's making an album before Rihanna has even made one. I only know when the last time Rihanna made a real made an album. But Sasha is making killer money. And she's making killer music with Snoop Dogg. That's a valid excuse. So and then Bailey, and I don't care what people say, Bailey has I like Bailey as a hill promo more than a face. Like she stepped the promo game up within the past few years. But it's something with her as a heel that she's really stepped it up. I guess it's more freedom, more relaxation, you know, to bring your point across more. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, and Lacey went and Bailey and Lacey had a backstage brawl. Lacey almost hit Bailey with the woman's right, but Bailey l- narrowly avoided it. 
because she was hit with it a few weeks ago in the tag match. Uh, I think it was on the last match in 2019. She was ducked with it. Yeah, yep, it was. I'm intrigued to see a Bailey Lacey program now. We saw plenty of the matches uh, within SmackDown uh, last year with uh, May June. So I'm intrigued to see how it's going to be now that the dynamics have switched up. Bailey's the heel, Lacey's the face. Um, do I think it's going to lead to a Royal Rumble match uh, for the title? I'm not too sure. Because uh, remember, guys, we still got Fastlane. We still got Elimination Chamber 2 pay-per-views before WrestleMania. So, And also, we got to worry about Carmella. She's been getting some wins here and there. Um, but how's that going to play into effect? Are we going to get like a triple threat between Bailey, Lacey, and Carmella? Or are we going to get some kind of fatal four-way at Fastlane if that pay-per-view still happens between Bailey, Sasha, Carmella, and Lacey or some form of a tag match? Um, we're not just sure it's something we gotta look into more, but I do think, but I feel as of now we're going to move into a Bailey Lacey program. Will the title be on the line at the Rumble? Who knows? It might be a pre-show match. Again, we will never know. We just have to wait and see for the coming weeks. Alright, and on the last segment for today's podcast, I'm gonna go into a little bit of a more personal a segment here. Um, cause... <laughs> I really, uh, over the past few days, I've really been enthralled with my getting back in my childhood and just remembering a lot of stuff. I mean, Disney Plus, I was watching childhood movies that I'd watched when I was five, six years old. And I remember um, very, I remember um, I was watching back to the Royal Rumble 2008 when John Cena came out at number 30. Now, when I tell you I was the biggest John Cena fan imaginable, you have no idea. You can ask my mom. I had, um, again, let's. I was around nine or ten. I wasn't sixteen. I wasn't. I was not exposed to the internet just yet. I was not jaded because the IWC. I was still a kid. I still believe everything was fucking real. And let me tell you, I was the biggest Cena fan imaginable. I had the purple gear. I had the orange gear. I had the blue gear. I skipped out on that green and yellow BS because it looked ugly as shit. It still looks ugly. I had. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I did. Had the red gear. He debuted at WrestleMania 27. Um, what had happened was my mom recently got me that purple one. It was after Christmas she got me it. And WrestleMania was that week. And I was sitting in my room. And John Cena debuted the red. And I overhear my mom said, don't you even think about it. <laughs> Let me tell you, John Cena gear ran you a lot of money back then. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, I think I had the black rise above hate. Uh, I might post some pictures of, of me and Cena Gear on my Twitter later on today. Um, I'm already taking a lot of L's in 2020 already. It's been the first week I've taken a bunch of L's professionally and personally. Might as well give this out a few more. You know? Um, so, yeah. And um, my favorite childhood memory had been Johnson coming back for the Royal Rumble 2008. I was ecstatic. I was jumping all over the place. Now, let's talk about my least favorite childhood memory in wrestling. We're going to go with The Undertaker. Now, around the time I started watching wrestling, I had no knowledge or clue of the dead man. All I had was American Biker Taker, badass, take a big evil taker riding down the ramp in that bike with American with American Badass by Kid Rock, uh, rolling by Limp Bizkit. You're going to pay. That was The Undertaker I was mostly familiar with at the time when I was a kid. So, um, again, you can ask my mom. When The Undertaker re-debuted the Deadman gimmick, I was fucking petrified. 
I screamed, I cried, I ran to my room, I shut the door, I was crying. I was already a crying match because Kurt Angle lost to Eddie Guerrero the match previous. I was a Kurt Angle fan. Don't blame me. I was a kid. I didn't know Kurt was subliminally a racist heading into that match. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was ter- Undertaker caused me like severe childhood trauma. To this day, like I can't even watch an Undertaker promo without muting it because I still get chills or am spooked whenever he rolled the eyes in the back of his head. Like that was terrifying. That was creepy. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, um, this has been the DJ Adams podcast. It was a little unorthodox, but I feel like I got my points across in all of this, and we're about to finish in about under thirty minutes. Um, so yeah. I hope you all enjoy listening. I uh, hope you all enjoy have a great weekend because this weekend, tomorrow, 12 p.m. Eastern, is NXT TakeOver Blackpool Blackpool 2. Triple threat for the NXT UK Women's title. Tony Store, Piper Niver, and the champion Kaylee Ray. We also got, I believe, a ladder match for the UK Tag Team titles. Fatal 4 I assume. Uh, I haven't been keeping up with UK at, for a long time, so I'm, it's a good way to dive back into it. And also that same day, we got Hard to Kill. Sammy Callahan defends the Impact World Championship against Tessa Blanchard. We could see the first ever female world champion in wrestling history. Anyway, this is Dominic Adams, DJ Adams. Signing out. Peace off. Have a nice day. And go to hell.